hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me jean-luc welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another jam-packed episode covering everything going on in the world of sports talking about the super bowl patrick mahomes getting his third title the chiefs getting a third title are they in fact a dynasty Patrick Holmes' GOAT conversation, is it valid or is it not? Also, the NBA trade data line and much else in the world of boxing. we got stuff to cover as well. We covered all bases on this episode. So, again, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. And, again, before we even start, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can keep on building up this empire of a community together. We are nearly at, at not, nearly at 900 and one step away from 1,000 subscribers, all thanks to you all and your great support. Keep on dishing it out there. Absolutely. Still trying to make some moolah for you lot. We're still trying to make <laughs> still trying to get that traction going. And we're getting there. Absolutely. So I thank you so much for all the support and love that we've been shown. Love commenting and love getting at you on. Hey, let's build something special. Cause we hey, we something's happening. I don't know what it is, but something's happening on this show. So we're doing something right in some capacity. But without further ado, all that out the way, let's jump right into the world of sports. Talking about first and foremost, the Super Bowl. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. They've done it. They have officially gone and done something that we haven't seen since the New England Patriots in terms of the Kansas City Chiefs have officially. Let me make sure I got my sound. That's right. Have officially done what was seen to be only done by the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. Repeat it and become back-to-back Super Bowl champions in spite of all odds of that seeming impossible. In the world of the NFL, because it's incredibly hard to win one Super Bowl, let alone two back to back. This was phenomenal, and it was against, again, the best built team in football. Also, by the way, before I forget, let me pat my own stuff on the back because I got it right. You dog go right. I called it. I'm, I'm telling you, I have been on a roll for the last year and a half calling and predicting these games and exactly what happened. Happened. We'll break down the game as a whole, but specifically, it came down to Patrick Mahomes versus Brock Purdy. Who was going to be able in the bigger, or rather not not even the bigger moments, moments, because this is in fact the biggest moment of the year in terms of the Super Bowl for the NFL. But in key situations, what plays are you able to make or create? In order to keep your hopes or your chances for your team to actually achieve the ultimate goal alive, who is going to be able to make the breakout play? And it came down to Patrick Mahomes doing what Patrick Mahomes does, and Brock Purdy, while having a great game, just it just wasn't enough, and it wasn't that Brock Purdy played bad, but. Mahomes just showed exactly what we know about this man. He is the best QB in the world today. And is arguably the best player in football. It's a real argument. He is the best player in football. Because this Kansas City Chiefs team was not supposed to win this game. Let's be frank. This is this Chiefs squad is the worst Chiefs squad in terms of a contending team that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey have been a part of. Specifically Mahomes and Read. This is the worst team that this dynamic trio has been a part of. 
in terms of as a real contender. Outside of their first season, this is probably the worst team since they've been in the running for, hey, this is the team to go through in the NFL. This is the worst squad that they've had throughout the entirety of their dominant run. Tyreek Hill left. They've had injuries. They had situations in the season where it seemed like they were going to fall apart. Constantly offsides called. Defense not looking up to par. Even the offense to some degree without dominating. It always is as usual. Even that looked to some degree stagnant. Again, when they faced off against, I believe it was against the Ravens, to get to the Super Bowl, they, hey, that was the prime opportunity. And they held them to what, 17 points? I believe the Ravens held them 17 points. Their defense did their job, lived up to best defense in the league. But it just wasn't enough. Because Patrick Mahomes kept on finding a way. This team should not have gotten anywhere close to a Super Bowl appearance. It should have been bounced in the first game of the playoffs. If we're being completely honest. Completely honest. They should have been bounced by now. But it they, they somehow keep pulling together. Every single time this team succeeds, it's always on the back burner of some dynamic comeback. Always. Wasn't it the last? No, all three Super Bowls, they have been down. They were down to San Francisco the first time. They were down to the Eagles when they won it the second time. They were down to San Francisco again this game. And their offense was probably the most stagnant it had ever been. And of the three Super Bowl appearances that they have won, of those three, this is probably the worst that they've been. Outside of the one that they lost in or against Tampa Bay, while injuries were all around, all around the bunny, that was kind of a different story. But the point still stands. With a healthy squad, relatively everybody there, this is the worst team that they've had. And they were still able to pull it out. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, just a, a savant. Of a job, 233 yards, two touchdowns. Threw an interception in this game. Again, this was, he, this. do you understand what makes this man so great? Patrick Mahomes had not thrown an interception the, all postseason this year. Up until the Super Bowl. When he made a, a mistake that I normally don't see him make in terms of reading and passing. This is the first interception turnover that he's had since the playoffs started this year. This is the first interception turnover that he's had since last postseason. People forget he didn't turn the ball over at all last year when they won it. Up until this year. That's nearly a whole, an entire year. Or excuse me, nearly two years in the playoffs. Never threw an interception. It's insane. It's insane how much this man, even when he messed up, still came through. And again, credit to Brock Purdy, like I said earlier. He was, didn't he did not play bad. He overcame the moniker of game manager, as we've been saying on this show. 255 yards, what, 12-18 when rushed, 28-38 as a whole on the game. Had a touchdown when the blitz was coming. What Didn't have a turnover, didn't have an interception. Was dotting up the zone of the Chiefs defense was marching down the field, we'll be perfectly honest, that offense was marching down the field with Christian McCaffrey having went 80 yards on the game. Rushing. Passing was also a great receiver and scored the touchdown on that trick play. This was an offense led by Brock Purdy 
with the best player being Christian McCaffrey. And they were marching down the field. If it wasn't for a fumble and then a muffed punt, we could very well be saying that the 49ers are world champions. The 49ers have won the Super Bowl. Christian McCaffrey has a ring. Steve Wilkes has a ring. Debo Samuel has a ring. George Kittle has a ring, further bolstering his cachet as one of the greatest tight ends, not only of this generation, but of all time. This is something that, uh, by every metric, 49ers play to perfection. Stop the momentum of the Kansas City Chiefs. Never let them really feel in sync. This was the most dire I felt that the Chiefs were at when they played in the Super Bowl. Never have I seen this team so desperate try to find something, try to find anything, get some semblance of momentum on their side on the offensive end. It was a low-scoring affair, affair throughout, but it was a clear discrepancy as to who's at least got something that's working versus who is scrambling trying to look for anything to get some form of life into Im, imbued into this offense, which is into the team as a whole. It was so boring. That I knew I know people that turned from the game. Just outright. Only tuned back in for Usher. It was a whole a whole deal. I was dozing off in the first half because of how just knock down, drag out, turned to the slow pace of the game that it was. But the 49ers had all control. It wasn't until that muffed punt. That's when things really started to shift. And that's what brings me to Patrick Mahomes specifically. With them, well, actually, first off, before I get to that, let's answer the question right now about them being a dynasty before I get to Patrick Mahomes. With this Chiefs squad, they are indeed a dynasty now. Oh, it's a done deal. They're absolutely a dynasty. This team is now officially the dynasty of our era in the NFL. Three championships in, what, five years? Back-to-back? That ain't been done since 05 with Tom Brady looking to three-peat. I can't remember. I think the last time somebody three-peated was maybe maybe, maybe the 60s. Way, way back. I could be wrong. This is incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. If it happened at all. Again, please research for yourself if it is. But they're on the cusp of a historic type run. And this is not normal. It's not normal. We shouldn't be transitioning from a dominant Patriots era to a dominant Chiefs era within the span of a couple years. It shouldn't be. This isn't something that's common. This isn't something that, that just happens. Building a dynasty on the back, off the back, or rather, on when I say on the back, in succession to another dynasty that just went away. That in part blew up because their best player left in terms of Tom Brady. This is this is it's not strange. It's strange, but it's incredible to watch. This is not something that should happen. But we're witnessing, we're witnessing a era-defining team in our point of view. That despite losing pieces, still they have a core foundational ability to always seem to be able to pull out whenever the going gets tough. They are the team to beat in the NFL. Let's keep it frank. It used to be that it was the Patriots. All roads most likely lead 
through the Patriots and Tom Brady. Now, all roads lead, most likely, through Kansas City, through the Chiefs, and through Patrick Mahomes. It's, it, this is, it's insane. It's insane. We can see this team get four Super Bowls in six years, hypothetically. It, this is something that is not, well, how do we say this? What's the best way to put this in terms of greatness? I don't even I don't know how to put it because it is so new. Not even new. It's so rare that we see something of this caliber in terms of a team just dominating outright. The Super Bowl is supposed to be something that is not only incredibly hard to win, but on any given game, at any given moment, that dream can be ripped away from you. Let alone to win it three times and to back to back repeat. You saying like the NBA. Again, not saying, not trying to compare in terms of which one's greater. But it is indeed harder to win in the NFL than it is in the NBA. So many more things can go wrong. So many more factors have to be accounted for. The one star doesn't just affect the game so much that it can just, boom, change everything. Most of the time. But we're seeing an NBA-level type of superstar effect when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, more than anybody else in the NFL right now, we're seeing that in Patrick, he's the one man that can affect the entirety of the outcome of a game. Though this game is as much a team sport as any game can be, everybody has a right, or has a not a right, but has an obligation that if you don't pick up the slack, something will go wrong. No matter how good you have, in terms of the personnel. And with Kansas City, they just they have that one defining man that unlike anybody else in the NFL, rarely, or rather one of the rare people in the NFL, rather, that their their presence alone, their ability alone, can change the outcome of the entirety of the game. Just by themselves. And that's Patrick Mahomes. It truly is. It's insane to watch. And now, because we've established that they are officially a dynasty, where does it put Patrick Mahomes in terms of his all-time ranking? The GOAT conversation. Always been a big deal. Always been a big kerfuffle. A big major conversation. Does he have now a real obligation, or not obligation, a real um, stake in the game in saying that he is the greatest of all time? And right now, let's pump the brakes and say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. At this point in time, he has no right to be called the GOAT right now. No, it's ridiculous. The fact that we're having this conversation, again, it does speak to his greatness, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a ridiculous argument or conversation to have. It's ridiculous to have. There's no reason that we should be saying anything about Patrick Mahomes being in the GOAT conversation. Because he's not. He's just not. He's not in the GOAT conversation. But what we can say, he is bulldozing his way up in, what, six years? Since he's been in the league seven years. Six years as a starter. Six years as a starter. Two, excuse me, three Super Bowl wins. A back-to-back Super Bowl, a back-to-back Super Bowl win within that trifecta of wins. 
two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time NFL MVP, in his first six seasons, has washed what Tom Brady was doing in his first six years. Yards, touchdowns, rushing, QBR, all of it. He's eclipsed in every facet. It is insane that this is what we are witnessing from a man. He is 15-3 and three in playoff games. That's it. This man is nearly 18-0. and 0. He's nearly equating what the Patriots were going into the Super Bowl. Or when they were trying to be 18-0. By himself, he is nearly in the running for the best record in NFL history. Just by his own playoff performance. His playoff performance right now would probably give him the best record in the NFL. If he was a team by himself, he would have the best record in the NFL. I believe today. With a 15-3 and playoff record. Again, like I said before, between these last two postseasons, he's thrown one interception. Thrown for 5,000 yards multiple times. Has eclipsed anybody. The gap between two and three is closer than the gap between one and two in terms of how good he is versus the second best man under him. Who that second man is, for my money, is Lamar Jackson. Not Josh Allen. Not Joe Burrow. Though we talk about Burrow often, though we talk about Josh Allen often, excuse me, in terms of being his, his rival. Two gunslingers going at it with, against each other. Oh, it's a fun... It's fun to watch. They're definitely got, anim- not animosity, but competition versus each other. There is a rivalry there. Yes, there is. But no. Especially after Lamar Jackson winning MVP. I might, but I believe for a second time. I believe this is the second MVP. And if that's the case, oh yeah, and leading this team in Baltimore, being the driving force for them having not only one of the best records, but the best offense in the NFL, Definitely, yes, second best QB in the world is Lamar Jackson. I'll gladly have my hat on it. Had an outright better year, more productive year, a more accurate year than Josh Allen had. He deserved it. And is a better rusher. League's better and smarter rusher. Both as a whole and within himself to not get injured, but still be effective. Oh, yes, he's evolved and become better. But the gap between Lamar and Patrick Mahomes is further away than the gap between Lamar and Josh Allen, Lamar and Joe Burrow. It's not even, it's not a conversation. He's separating himself so far. We were at least having conversations as to who is the better QB when it came to Brady and Peyton Manning, when they were running the league with each other on Indiana and on the Patriots. It was, it was a real conversation. There is nothing to say when it comes to anybody else but Patrick Mahomes. He is so far and away eclipsed everybody else in the league. And his resume is so dominant at 28 years old. In only seven years, he's accomplished already a Hall of Fame resume twice over. He's got enough greatness to get two people in the Hall of Fame. He has... Done things that, again, from a talent perspective, we were saying, people were saying, myself included, 
Aaron Rodgers might be the most raw talent, gifted quarterback that we've seen in the first. You also got Joe Montana. We and we again in terms of just outright ability to do whatever he wants with the football. It's a real argument that Aaron Rodgers might be the of just purely talent was the best to ever do it. Then all of a sudden that just done away with by season three. It was done away with. Patrick Mahomes was the best talent that we had seen in NFL history at the quarterback position. And the production was matching the ability. It's not always the case. It's not always the case that the production matches what your talent can be. But it was with Patrick Mahomes. The accuracy is there. The ability to create is there. Pocket presence is there. Throwing on the run, both left and right. Gunslinger, absolutely there. But without the risk of interceptions. Always pinpoint accuracy while being able to also be as reckless as he wants to. And it comes out pure gold. Even his bad performances look like savant. It just looks impeccable. Looks like a savant at work. That's what I was trying to say. Again, when he lost in Tampa Bay, or lost to Tampa Bay, rather, he still put on one of the greatest passing performances I had ever seen. Because though he lost the game, every incompletion that he threw, for the most part, was right on the money where only his receiver could catch it. From the start of the game all the way to crunch time. Including the pass where he threw it essentially parallel to the ground. Still hit, I believe it was Tyreek Hill. Or Watkins. It was Tyreek Hill or Watkins. One to two. Hit him square in the face mask. Where only he could get it. And he dropped it. It would have been the greatest touchdown pass I had ever seen. It was, it's, it's, he has been so perfect. He's made the impossible look easy. And his resume is stacking up so much that his GOAT conversation. This GOAT conversation rather. It's not something that he is in right now. But he is swiftly marching his way up there. Swiftly marching his way to say that he's good. And if we're being completely honest, if we had those conversations, we could at at least have him at five. If you wanted to. Still got some greatness to go. But you at least can put him at five. As of right now. And in two seasons, we might just be putting him at two. Even with the likes of people like Peyton Manning. Like Dan Marino, who, again, for the time that he was in, was an absolute savant. Like Joe Montana, if I didn't say him already. Like Drew Brees. We can keep going down the list of just outright talents and greatness at the QB position. He could very well knock all of those pillars down. If he keeps on this run and Quicker than we ever thought it could happen. Barring injury or just an outright diabolical shutdown within the organization in terms of everything that went wrong. Pizzas got moved, people left, all that outside of the outright catastrophe, doomsday version of what could happen with the Chiefs. We can see the Buddha accomplish either get at two or Arthur would be saying he might, he's tied with one. Quicker than we ever thought possible. 
It's, it's, it, it doesn't make sense what we're seeing from this man. It truly doesn't. We're witnessing greatness. After just witnessing greatness with Tom Brady, we're witnessing a potential greater great than what we saw with Brady. And we hold Brady as the gold standard with what he's done, the commitment to the game. And all that he accomplished. Again, pulling out whenever the fire got hot. Always came out pure gold. Now we're seeing this with Tom Brady. Or with Patrick Mahomes. But he's doing it in a fashion, in a style, and with a production. That we have to, we always sit back and we just shake our heads. We've never seen somebody like this. Never seen somebody like this. But he is quickly getting himself in that go conversation. If he's not in there already. And he's not the go. No. With how rapid that this rise to success has been. He can definitely get there. Quicker than we ever thought possible. And if he three-peats. If he three-peats. We're, we're having a conversation of. Okay. Wait a minute, hold on. We have to reevaluate some stuff. If that in fact does happen. But who knows? We just have to wait and see. Now talking about the world of the NBA trade deadline transitioning from the NFL. Oh, it was relatively quiet, was it? Not for our NBA fans out here. It wasn't much going on. We had been spoiled with big time moves over the past couple years of major stars or major key pieces getting moved from one team to another. And now we were more so uh, left wanting something. It was lackluster. It didn't feel as grandiose as it normally does when it comes to the anticipation and the execution of what we're expecting when it comes to the NBA trade deadline. But that still doesn't mean that there wasn't a clear winner. And there was indeed a clear winner in this trade deadline who has set themselves up, not just for this season, but also to be even greater threats next year. That is indeed the New York Knicks. Because ladies and gentlemen, the Knicks are good. The Knicks have succeeded. We are now looking up to the heavens saying yes, because the Knicks are a quality team. They have been building and building and building for the last couple years. And now I'm confidently able to say this team is a real contender. And they're set themselves up to be an even bigger contender come next season. Dare I say even this season with them getting Bogdan, uh, not Bogdan, Bogdanovich, excuse me, and Albert while keeping their first-round draft picks on the team, only having trade some second-round draft picks. So what that means, why it's significant, this team now has Jalen Brunson, who has been playing at an all-star caliber level. Julius Randle, which, however you feel about him, good or bad, and I can understand bad, he is still a relatively core, not relatively, he is still a real core piece of this team when he is on. Oh, that buddy can cause some problems. But now you have that duo with OG Ananova, who, mind you, this team has not what, they lost once, maybe twice, since they've gotten the OG and Anobi on the squad to completely changed the defensive and offensive ability that this team has now been able to show. And getting Bogdan, it's not Bogdan, excuse me, Bogdanovich. I keep getting, is it Bogdan, Bogdan, Bogdanovich, the legitimately good quality score with another good piece in Allenberg as well. This team is looking serious, very serious. A bigger threat next year. Because you have to understand. This team can still sign a major star come next year. 
I think we keep forgetting that. As much as Jalen Brunson, as much as Jalen Brunson has evolved into a star of his own, we could see this team get one more legitimately major piece, a major key player, a major key figure in the world of sports. Because there are free the free agency isn't going to be open. Is it going to be open? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe LeBron, is, this is the last year of his contract in terms of LeBron James. Him and a plethora of other players who are legitimately top contenders are going to be on the market. They got gap space. They got money. And they still have trade assets and picks and a legitimately good roster they can pick and potentially use as more trade fodder. This team is looking like somebody that is building into something great. We could be on the cusp of seeing the Knicks in title contending mode. Something we ain't said since the 90s. They've gone from laughing stock to, dare I say, a legitimate threat. Not just in the East, but potentially if what happen, if what I think is going to happen happens in the offseason. If they don't make no, if they don't get far in the postseason this year. This could be a finals contending team come next year. This could be a, a, a New York Knicks squad that actually has people worried. That has people afraid. That's got fan bases rattled. Because this squad looks like they are built to add one key piece to make this squad phenomenal. Take them to the heights of that, that they can go. Take them to the level that they think they can achieve. Because right now with Jalen Brunson, he is a bona fide star. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Has been putting up absolutely phenomenal numbers. Gaudy numbers. Insane numbers. The driving force behind this Knicks squad and their success. But him and Julius Randle, for my money, are not enough to get this team where they want to go. Even with OG and Anobi. But let's say hypothetically, you're able to trade Julius Randle. And... With father of those draft picks, and you get a major star, potentially top 10 to top 5, on your roster to pair with Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson as a dominant Batman in terms of carrying the offensive load. But you get another, a, a legitimately great, let's say big man, or another two guard who can actively not only carry and score along with you, but help on the defensive end as well. Bolstering what we always see, already see OG and OB doing? Or, dare I say, even better, you make Jalen Brunson while he's the heart of this team and the leader in that respect. You give somebody, you give him a top 10 player and make him a Robin to a better, in terms of talent, a better Batman? With him orchestrating it all? My gosh. My goodness. Oh, you're talking about a scary situation. You're talking about a scary situation for the entirety of the NBA. Oh, this is built to be something special. This is built to be something different. We could be on the cusp of seeing New York have a new frame and a new lease on life. Buzz like never before. This is, it's preposterous how much they've set themselves up to succeed between now and next season. They would they have essentially a two-year window to become the most prosperous they've ever been since the 90s. To open up their opportunity to be a real contender. 
not just in the East, but in all of the NBA, in both conferences. Scoot your way into the conversations of the Bucks, of the Celtics, of the Nuggets, in terms of who are the best teams to get to or that you got to go through and that legitimately have a shot to win an NBA Finals this season or next season, rather. This could be one of them. We could be seeing the Knicks as one of them. And speaking of the Bucks, as we transition from the Knicks having, again, easily winning the trade deadline, the Bucks have been, not only did they not make any moves, but they might have just shot themselves in the foot with this Doc Rivers trade. Because like I said, Doc Rivers could be a problem. Doc Rivers could really be a problem. And ladies and gentlemen, now. Hey, look at this. We got the problems here. We got the problems here. Jim Ross, you're absolutely right. We got problems in Milwaukee. This squad, since Doc Rivers had been there, has become an absolute shell of themselves. They looked better when Griffin was there versus when what we got with Doc Rivers here now. Didn't they just lose to Miami without Jimmy Butler and without Bam Adebayo? Am I not mistaken? Wasn't this a squad that was at one point in time, not even at one point in time, solidified as the best team or arguably the best team in the East? Record-wise, was the second best team in the East, but a team that I was saying is still best equipped out of everybody in the East outside the Celtics to run through the coppers. And they do this? They have this debacle? They, they, they fall apart this quickly? Didn't they, they lost their first game with Doc. And I believe they, are, they have been on a downward trend ever since. Some people can look at it as Damian Lillard being not the dang that we know or have seen in the past. Again, he's still averaging relatively close to the numbers that he was averaging in Portland and for his entire career. But in terms of this season, even amongst those averages, they are fooling to some degree because if you look at the last couple games that he's played, oh, it's been abysmal. It's been horrible. Nearly sub-40 from the field as a whole. And near 32%, I believe, 32, or under 34% from three. Yeah, averaging with six, seven assists, yes, but the rest of the offensive load that we want Dame and no Dame can do hasn't been doing. Defense still hasn't been improving like we expected it to or like we insinuated it would when Doc Rivers got on the squad. This has been an absolute dumpster fire. It's been a dumpster fire. This is, this is the, like I said, it's a problem with Doc Rivers. Every time you get him in a tailor-made situation, to make something better. He, ne- he f- never fails to fail. I'll even give you the argument that the Bucks are a worse squad now in theory. Or just not even, not in theory, excuse me. In practice without their playing right now. Due to the loss of June Holiday being such a big detriment to the defensive capabilities that this squad has off. Which was one of the biggest benchmarks as to why they had won the finals in the past. And had consistently been a threat in the East. To uh, nigh to the rest of the NBA for all these years that they've been dominant, and in the years of Giannis's prime, that no problem. There. You can have that argument. Still, they've kept relatively everybody there: Brook Lopez, Bobby Porters, Grayson Allen, Chris, uh, uh, Chris Middleton, Giannis. Added Dang, 
And the bitch is still the, the bitch. It ain't great. But it, it but it, it hey, it isn't terrible. And seemingly they should still be better than what we're seeing here right now. But it's all because of Doc. It's all because of Doc. Doc has single-handedly torn down whatever momentum they had this year. Whatever momentum they had this year. This team looks completely different from what they were not even eight games ago. Again, before Griffin got ousted. With what? What was he? 31 and 9? 31 and 11? At least close to 30 wins. At minimum. Around 30 and 12, somewhere around that line, he was in in terms of his record with that squad. Yes, there were things that were lapsing. Like I said, defense at that point in time was 22nd ranked in the league. But that was better than what we're seeing this right now. This is terrible from Doc Rivers. It's absolutely terrible. They've lost theater last five. Their defense hasn't improved in the slightest relative to what we were expecting when Doc Rivers got on the squad, going from 22nd to what, 19th in terms of defensive rating as a whole in the year. This is not okay. This is not okay. This again speaks to the problem that Doc Rivers brings to whatever roster he gets on. He always brings them down. This is, again, his last opportunity most likely to coach in the NBA. This is his last opportunity, most likely. And in a made situation, second best team in the East, a team that, again, when they've been on a losing streak of the last five games, lost three in a row, then beat Charlotte, and then beat Denver. I can't remember if Nikola Jokic was out for that game or not, but regardless of which. They have not been able to gain any real traction when it comes to Doc Rivers and whatever mentality and whatever scheme he's trying to get this team to, to galvanize around. He's not a good coach anymore. We have to start saying that. We have to start saying that. It cannot be a situation where this is just, oh, they'll get it together at some point. No. No. No, the easiest thing in the world would just to, yes, you have your own philosophy, but build on what was working. Seemingly, you're tearing it down. It makes it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. This is on duck because there is, it doesn't look like the same team. It doesn't look like the same squad. This doesn't look like, this doesn't look like a team that is as together, as cohesive, nor is as understanding as to what they want to do on both sides of the ball. Mind you, Doc, not Doc, Giannis asked for him. Giannis wanted him as their coach. Giannis wanted him as their man. Giannis wanted him as the guy to lead the squad. And this is what he's doing? This is how, this isn't, no. No, this is terrible. It's horrible. This is terrible. Terrible is the only word I can think of because it's so egregious that we're seeing this cycle happen again. Like on the Clippers, both stints, like on Philadelphia, and outside of Boston, 
you haven't produced anything. There's good reason for it. Maybe we overestimate your ability to be a quality coach. You're not bad, but you're sure enough ain't good at this stage in your career. Your ability now to make a game plan that works to get your teams over the hump, to get your team set in position to take advantage of everything they have to offer. You, in terms of Doc Rivers, just, you're not cutting. You're not cutting. It's showing the pattern, again, of mediocrity from you as the leader of men. It really is. It's showing you are the X factor that is causing the ship to go down. Because we're seeing the same pattern that happened on other teams that were built like this, ready to win, and you continually brought this team down with how you kept giving up leads, losing games when you should have won, and underperforming to your expectations and potential that you have on your roster. It's ridiculous. It's insane, and I hate it. Again, Mark Jackson was right there to be picked as a head coach. He was right there, waiting on the sideline, to a degree blackballed. Bucks could have gotten him. But now you got to deal with, again, a potential, another failure in the making. That is Doc Rivers in another tailor-made situation that is completely fumbled. It's completely fumbled. Doc is the root problem. Doc Rivers is the problem that the Bucks are having with why they don't look like the same team. Even more than the personnel, even more than the loss of June Holiday. It is Doc Rivers not getting the scheme of this team down to a science to maximize everything that they have at their disposal. I don't think it's going to change with time. If it does, I'll gladly be wrong. I don't think it's going to change with time. I don't think it's going to change after the All-Star break. I don't think it's going to change going into the playoffs. The Celtics could be the, the, the Bucks, excuse me, could still be the second best team in the East. And I would say that they're going to lose. Because I don't trust Doc Rivers. I don't trust him in his schemes and the ability to make a game plan to maximize everything that this team is off. And adapt to what the opposing coaches and teams are doing. I don't. Because the biggest thing that you want to hang your hat on, which was defense, has not gotten any better. It hasn't changed. If it has, it's been subtle. We're not saying you need to be top five right now. We need to see something bigger than this. We need to see something better than this. And we're not. So what does that say? Doc, you are failing at what you're supposed to do. The clock's ticking, not just for the to get right, but also for your time as a head coach. Could be drawn to it. Also, real quick, touching on what was rumored to potentially have happened, or what nearly happened. Golden State reached out to the Lakers. Good gosh, to get LeBron on Golden State. My goodness. All of a sudden, everybody's been coming out the woodwork. Daryl Morey called and got called about LeBron. A bunch of other teams called about LeBron. Warriors called about LeBron. Draymond Green wanted LeBron there in terms of in Golden State. This, all with the cryptic tweets, hourglasses sent from LeBron, the 
brazen, subtle yet speaking volumes statements that he's made to the media. Clearly showing some disdain as to what's going on in, in Lakerland, in Los Angeles. Again, it boils down to, in my humble estimation, Darvin Ham is being a terrible coach. Again, this team should not be muddling above 500 with the roster they've constructed now, with D'Lo playing the way that he's been playing now, with Austin Reeves playing like Austin Reeves. All of this with injuries, mind you, of Cam Reddish and Vando, who are set to come back soon. This is a squad in its totality built to legitimately win a title. Built to be the one of the biggest threats in the West, along with the Nuggets. Along with the Timberwolves, who have been playing phenomenal this year. And with anybody else in the NBA, they're a team that teams should not want to want to play against. Oh, that sounded confusing. Let me say that again. Lakers are a team that other teams do not want to play against if they got everything together because the personnel matches up with everybody and the shooting and scoring ability has gotten better and the defense and length with Anthony Davis as the anchor, again, is sublime. One of the best transition teams in basketball and they got size and they're young. And they can play 40 minutes. This isn't like the Lakers of old who were literally old. This is a team that should be leagues better. Because of Darvin Ham, as we continue to say, we always see them flounder, falter, and fail. With whatever little momentum that they get. Because that brother is just a terrible coach. Now, LeBron's fed up. He might not sign with them. And we, again, the dream scenario for anybody in the NBA has been seeing LeBron with his IQ and passing go to the epitome of, of spread out offense in Golden State under Steve Kerr, under a quality coach outside of Eric Spoelstra, outside of Ty Lue, if you feel that he's a quality coach, and get a legitimate organization that has an, that has and plays to what their identity is in Golden State on the Warriors. My gosh, you're talking about a a a, a offensive a offensive force, the likes of which we may have never seen in the NBA. We may have never seen in the NBA. It's something completely different. LeBron and Steph together. We saw KD and Steph. Again, that was insane and phenomenal. Insane and phenomenal. This could be that level, if not potentially greater, because it's LeBron. Even at this, again, out of his prime, which is insane to say, but out of his prime with LeBron on the Golden State Warriors with Steph playing like he's been playing now, and now you force the offense to be spread that thin, and his ability to find and drive and kick and create in any scenario, my gosh, you're talking about one of the most beautiful offenses that we've ever seen. Most likely. You're talking about one of the most beautiful and potent offenses that the NBA has ever seen. But, most likely that won't happen. Most likely it won't happen. Again, it was a, a dream that all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we were this close. But, found out it wasn't true. Or rather, found out it fell through. LeBron and Lakers rejected it. All that stuff. But, 
understand this. There is still a chance that it can happen. With Bronny James. If Bronny James goes into the draft, what has been one of the biggest topics about LeBron? If LeBron gets drafted, LeBron wants to play wherever he goes. He will take money. Or he will take less money. Significantly less money. To go play with his son. He will take drastic cuts to go play with his son. He, that, he has been stated. He has, he has been on record saying that's a package. It's a package deal. You get Bronny, you get me. Point blank, period. Even with Orlando. How much he doesn't like Orlando, as he's been stated saying. If he goes to Golden State in terms of Bronny James, let's say they draft him. Because of the, again, the package that is going to come with them. If they draft Bronny, LeBron goes there. Boom. With him taking a significant pay cut, his words, not mine, saying he's willing to sacrifice to play with his son, revenue-wise. You know how much that opens up for that, for that offense to be built back up again? Yes, we know Clay has been playing abysmal relative to his high standards. Draymond Green is Draymond Green, ever so declining. Yes, he makes their defense better, don't get me wrong. But you mean to tell me now you got Steph and LeBron playing together with revenue to play with, to get somebody else to play with them. My gosh. There's something could be brewing that could shock everybody in terms of what can potentially be done if the perfect world takes place and the Warriors sign LeBron through getting Bronny in the draft. It's a hypothetical. It's a long shot, most likely. But always a real possibility. This is not something as far-fetched as we may have thought. Especially with the discomfort, or rather, the disgruntledness of LeBron in L.A. right now. Oh, it's a big possibility that we could see that happen. But it shouldn't be a, a situation that we should be talking about. We should be saying that LeBron is happy in Los Angeles. Because this team is built to win. But they're not winning it ain't because of their production. We just had, we, we've seen them now on a tear offensively. Just had a game where all five starters scored 20 points. AD's been playing like AD. Great. No injuries either. LeBron's still putting up LeBron-esque numbers. Being healthy. Everybody's playing in the ebb and flow. But it's due to Darvin Ham systematically having inconsistency in his own frame of thinking when it comes to coaching the squad, causing dysfunction, causing no chemistry, causing nobody to really understand their role and not getting a set personnel that you know you're running with and then adapting from there. It's different if you want to play around with stuff after you've established something. But it's been two years in the Western Conference Finals appearance. And yet still, we are not seeing a consistent offense, not, not offense, a consistent lineup and rotation of players. And if we do see one, it's the wrong one. Like Terry and Prince starting when he should be coming off the bench and really should be starting. I mean, and now with them getting Spencer Dinwiddie in the trade deadline, or rather signing him after he got released from Toronto, that's another offensive player that can be on ISO, 
that can help out the bench unit or could even run with LeBron as a starting point guard. If he wants to get, he got seven assists in his debut game with the Lakers. And he can be, while he didn't show it in that game, he can be a great isolation scorer. We know Spencer Dinwiddie is a great one-on-one. He's been said to himself, nobody can stop me one-on-one. He's been shifty. He's been a great scorer. He's been a bucket getter. We know this. Both on the Wizards and on the Mavericks. And we know what he can bring on, I believe, the Nets. No, what he did on the Nets. And now on the Lakers. We know what the potential can be. But how you use him is how you will produce. And right now, I don't trust Darvin Ham to, to really use him properly. Because it's Darvin Ham. The boy ain't done nothing right since he got there. He hasn't. He hasn't done a thing right since he got there. If he was gone, my gosh, if, if there was ever a point in time for Darvin Ham to be fired, this would be the time. I believe Griffin's still on the market after being let go from the Bucks. You let that happen. With already the great defensive ability that this Lakers squad has at their disposal, you get a consistent rotation in offensive identity and just do the smart thing and do the most logical lineups, my goodness, this team is going to be something scary. If they pull the trigger. Will they? Good gosh, I hope so. Most likely it won't happen. But if it did, who we? Now we're cooking with gas. Now we got a fire. Now we got some potential. Now we have something to build off of. Now we got a real threat on our hands. Now we have something to worry about. If you're the rest of the NBA. But again, only time will tell if that does come to fruition. And finally, as we go to discuss the world of sports, we have to cover boxing. That's what we know people are here for. People come on this channel. People found this channel going to the world of boxing. And we cover everything. But you already know that when we're talking about boxing, it is time to step into the ring. That is right. Ring the bell. Let's get it started. Round one of this segment of the show going underway. Talking about one of the bigger announcements that just happened in the world of boxing this past, well, I believe this past weekend, if not earlier this week. We finally have another major mega fight going on with Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney fighting against each other on April 20th, if I'm not mistaken, for Devin Haney's, I believe, WBO title at 140 oh this is phenomenal the fights just keep on coming continuing the forward momentum that we had from last year with a major slew of big fight after big fight after big fight just constantly going and just being given gifted to the fans this is phenomenal this is great and again we got another fight between two young hungry fighters both at the top caliber of the talent pool not just in the division but in all of boxing well actually let me rephrase it one's at the top of the talent pool in terms of the world of boxing one is at the top of the talent pool in terms of the division there's two there's a real distinction between those two and i'm gonna tell you why right now because let's without we ain't done a breakdown in a long time have we oh boy let's go on and get it started let's break down the fight after what's going to happen who is going to win between Devin Haney and King Ryan Garcia at 140 pounds for the 140-pound WBO title at Super Lightweight? Well, it's fairly simple. Fairly, really easy to say. 
Devin Haney is going to whoop Ryan Garcia. Devin Haney is going to be Ryan Garcia. Why do I say that? Well, we have to backtrack a little bit. Let's go through the history of this match. Understand this. This is being billed at from some people as game seven between the match between these two. Why is that significant? Because in the amateurs, both of these people faced off against each other six times. And they're three and three versus each other. Ryan Garcia got three wins on Devin Haney. Devin Haney got three wins on Ryan Garcia. Both of them know each other, are familiar with their with each other's games, understands what each brings to the table, and are familiar and comfortable with being in the ring with each other. There is a rivalry that has been brewing undertones for the majority of their career because they got history. They got real history, legitimate history. And since that's the case, there's some real animosity. There is a drive to win more than any other fight that these people have faced between these two because there's a significant personal animosity that they have versus each other. Oh, yes, they do. Call it competitive fire. Call it competitive fervor. Maybe we just call it outright hate. Whatever you want to call it. There is something there that each of these people individually, on a personal level, beyond the titles, beyond the claim, or beyond the fame, beyond the legacy, there this is it's real for these two. But the reason why I say that Devin Haney is going to beat him is simply because he's better. Despite all the history, despite all the extra weight that this fight is going to bring out of these two, it's just point blank, period, in this game seven fight. Ryan Garcia is just not great, good enough. He's not good enough. And yes, before I, this is not me hating, or rather, excuse me, before I even continue, this is not me hating on Ryan Garcia. This is not me hating on his ability. No, this is understanding where his ability is. I want to see the best fight the best. I want to see the best fighters and the best talent face off against each other. Rising stars face rising stars. Established stars face established stars. That's what's going on in this fight. And on that note, phenomenal. Absolutely. But from a talent perspective, before we get into all the other um, um, superlatives around this fight, Ryan Garcia is just not good enough because he hasn't improved from Oscar Duarte. Ryan Garcia, I covered it on this show. Ryan Garcia, when he faced against Oscar Duarte, did not show any form of real improvement when it came to his technical ability. All he had was a makeshift Philly show. That's it. Still throwing that check hook more than normal. Isn't using his jab to the best of his ability. Again, used it more. Don't get me wrong. Still hasn't mastered how to use that jab to his own benefit. Still isn't throwing enough straight punches to utilize and maximize his reach and size has some mobility issues in the ring. Yes, his hands are quick, but he solely relies on that so much that it can be a detriment to him. Especially against somebody that can be such a pinpoint savant and accuracy merchant in Devin Haney. This is why Tank, not, this is why when Ryan Garcia faced Tank, excuse me, this was supposed to be a lesson, a real lesson, like Canelo versus Mayweather. Ryan Garcia takes from that, learns from that, evolves, and we'll see a change. Again, my whole thing, I wanted him to take multiple lower lower opposition fights, just like with Deontay Wilder, to get comfortable and get acclimated with being able to be better in terms of his skill set. That's what should have happened. That's what needed to happen. However, it didn't happen, did it? No, it didn't. Again, Oscar Duarte's tough. A great matchup to have. But in terms of what he needed, 
he didn't show it. He didn't show a better arsenal of punches. He didn't show a more diverse offense as a whole. He didn't show great defense. He didn't show the ability to stay out of range. He didn't show the ability while he was controlling the ring. Don't get me wrong. He didn't show the ability to fully gain and keep control for the entirety of a fight. He was still getting popped. He was still getting hit. And I don't mean that because everybody gets hit in box. I'm talking about when he was trying to actively defend, his defense wasn't working. It broke down. It wasn't being effective. Couple that with the fact that with him being such a, again, left hook merchant and somebody who relies on such raw speed and power, which is legitimate. Ryan Garcia still, because of the lack of technical ability and the lack of fun, not, not fundamental, but the lack of diverse offense and understanding what to use and when, we're seeing him get predictable. We see him get repetitive. We see him fall into traps and patterns like against Tank Davis even to some degree to like Oscar Duarte. This is not the Ryan Garcia that needs to fight against the best. And I've said it on this show. This Ryan Garcia is not ready to fight a Teofimo Lopez, despite what we saw in Teofimo's last fight against Ortiz. This is, he is not a fighter ready to fight Teofimo Lopez. He's not a fighter that's ready to fight Devin Haney. That top, top tier, Ryan Garcia isn't ready for. Devin Haney has shown that he evolved, changed, and turned into a different beast entirely, like I covered on this show. Showed more power. Showed, again, great speed, great instincts. A counterpunch is now even more effective because he can catch you and drop you legitimately. And he can hurt people like Progress who don't get hurt in their careers. Multiple times in the fight. Couple that with the fact that his ring generalship is nigh impossible to reach at this level relative to where Ryan Garcia is and where Devin Haney is. It's literally off the screen. This is how, this is how wide the gap is. They, with how much they evolved in their time away from each other, from their amateur days in fighting, they, one has drastically improved and the other one has improved only to some extent. That's it. There's a reason why Devin Haney was able to become undisputed and Ryan Garcia is still seeking a championship. There is a difference in talent level outright that Ryan Garcia just is not at yet. He could beat Roland Romero. Again, that's a fine fight if that got made. But as we know, it fell through. Ryan Garcia went back to the table with Devin Haney. Boom, fight gets made. No hassle, no problem. We love that. And we'll address that right after this. But the point is the breakdown. Him in this fight is not ready for Devin Haney. Devin Haney's got enough power to drop you like Luke Campbell dropped you. A better counterpart than, than Campbell ever was. And with how repetitive and raw and, and reliant that Ryan Garcia is on his raw speed, he's going to fall into traps consistently just like we saw Tank lull him into traps. Catch him. Drop him and end him. This is not a level that Ryan Garcia has been, has is able to reach because he's not there yet at this point in time. The improvement ain't been shown. The training hasn't been there. 
I believe he's still training with Derrick James, if I remember correctly. I believe he's still training with Derrick James. And yet still, maybe they just haven't had enough time together. But if this is the same Ryan Garcia with the same makeshift gameplay that we're going to see going and fighting Devin Haney, I don't know if we're going to see a victory. Actually, no. Let me rephrase it. I know we're not going to see a victory with Ryan Garcia. I just know it. Because Devin Haney has improved so much. And Ryan Garcia has improved so little. In fact, it's to the point that you can argue he hasn't improved at all. Because for every improvement, there was a massive drawback. For every punch or for every jab that he threw, that was actually, oh, okay, wait a minute, he's, he's learning. The defensive ability was non-existent. None whatsoever. In a tank fight, for every time he used a straight right that actually broke through and was catching tank, he ultimately got too aggressive for his own good, consistently in that fight. Hence, got caught, got dropped. Over-eager. Every, every good quality that Ryan Garcia has has a drawback that he brings to the table. That balances out why you can't really call it improvement. Because it's still, you're as much as you're gaining in one thing, you keep missing and forgetting in another. Devin Haney doesn't have that problem. Devin Haney is polished. He is poised. He is always disciplined. The most disciplined fighter at 140. While he's the least gifted. I believe um, Chris Algieri said that. And it's a great statement. Absolutely true. Devin Haney is the least physically gifted champion in the division. But he is the best and most disciplined champion in the division. Teal's the most athletic rawly. Absolutely. Ryan Garcia is the quickest. And from a frame perspective, he's probably the biggest. Sabril Matias is the most powerful. And Roland Merrill is just the most, the most explosive. But talent-wise, yeah. But point still stands. He is the least physically gifted boxer of that four tandem of champions. Yet he is the most disciplined and the best. Because he's mastered the technical aspect of it. He doesn't do too much. He always is smart. He is always looking to put himself in the best position, the most optimal field of success. Never gets too eager. Never got too out of his comfort zone. Even when he had progress hurt, he didn't just chase him down recklessly. He would still boxed. Ryan Garcia doesn't have that discipline. He hasn't shown he has that discipline. Even in the style of just coming forward, he hasn't shown he's disciplined enough to come forward smartly. He just hasn't. This is the problem when it comes to Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney. They are not on equal grounds. They cannot fight each other and it be competitive, from my estimation, because while they know each other, again, from the amateurs, three and three, this being game seven between them, the amount of improvement is drastically different from one and the other. It's not, almost not comparable. You can't compare what Devin Haney has done to make himself better versus what we've seen Ryan Garcia improve to. Ryan Garcia is, in, in fact, this is the best way you can describe it. Ryan Garcia improved all of his physical attributes. Got bigger, got stronger, got taller, got faster. Devin Haney improved all of his technical attributes. Got Became a better counterpuncher, 
mastered his jab, mastered ring generalship, and being able to be elusive and defensively sound. And also improved physically by gaining weight and power. One maxed out all their physicals. The other one maxed out all their skill sets and then also added some physical upgrades as well. And now you're just relying on, okay, I'm fast and I'm strong. Let me use that to beat this guy who skill-wise has uh, leveled up to kingdom come, become one of the best pure boxers in the entire sport, now added power. The only thing that Ryan Garcia added was more speed. And maybe more power because he's, again, more weight. But he hasn't developed in any other facet. If anything, he's regressed. This isn't a fight that at this stage in Ryan Garcia's career, he can win. Because he's not ready. I've been said that he's not ready. I know he's not ready. You know that he's not ready. He's not ready and he won't be able to beat. He won't be able to beat him. He won't be able to beat him. He won't. Ryan Garcia will not be able to beat Driven A because he didn't learn anything nor improve from the tank fight, which should have been the makings of the evolution of the best Ryan Garcia that we can possibly see. But yet we're not on that road. We're on the road of confusion. Not because we, the fight doesn't make sense to big names, to big stars for a title. Hey, Fans want to see it. I want to see it. Yes, I do. But from the actual fight perspective, you're, this is a, is a big hole. It's a bigger hole for you. This is a big hole for you. This is, this is horrible. It's horrible for Ryan Garcia because he's not ready at all. Nowhere close to being ready for Devin Haney. Not one metric about him. Outside of his physical gifts, him being taller, I believe longer reach, and faster, and most likely stronger. Outside of the physical capabilities that he brings to the table, skill set-wise, he's nowhere close. And Devin Haney, again, might be shorter, but it ain't by much. His reach is shorter, but it ain't by much. And the weight, we know what the weight's done for Devin Haney. Made him better and better and better. Unlocked a whole vast array of skills and avenues to operate on the offensive end. A more dangerous counterpuncher that can damage you, not just score and win fights on points, can damage you and beat you with more than just technical skill. This is what Devin Haney brings to the table. Ryan Garcia hasn't improved technically. He's going to get circles boxed around. If he catches Devin Haney, hey, great. We can see if he can take it. We saw he could take a clean punch from Regis, from Rougarou, from Regis Progress. If he can take a clean punch from Ryan Garcia, great. If he can't take it, okay. Hey, it is what it is. I ain't got no dog in the fight. I'm saying what can happen. I'm saying while we know what the potential is, the problem is it's not going to be enough. If we're looking at this fight as a fight. Now, beyond that, or rather, for the prediction, Devin Haney's probably going to beat him on points outright, just like he did reach his progress, or dare I say, he knocks him out in 10 rounds. He truly does. He knocks him out in 10 rounds. 
Not because Ryan Garcia isn't tough, but because the accumulation of damage, coupled with the counter-punching ability. Yes, he might not have as much power as Tank, but the consistency at which he was able just to touch Ryan Garcia all night long. And with the added power now making more damage and significant impact on every shot that he lands now. Yeah, it could get stopped. Or dare I say he catches Ryan Garcia outright and then boom, beginning of the end. Just like with Tank Davis. This is what Ryan Garcia is, is, is in for. A boxing, another boxing lesson and potentially a worse beatdown. Because since Devin Haney doesn't have as much power, you may be able to take more punches, but you're going to get hit a whole lot more. Countered a whole lot more. A whole lot more. And because of that, this could spell a very dangerous night for Ryan Garcia. Incredibly dangerous. So either Devin Haney wins on points outright, or he stops him in 10 rounds, between 10 and 12. Stops Ryan Garcia within 10 and 12. Now, beyond just the fight itself and breaking down the fight, with everything that I've said, understand this, and this will be the last thing before we leave. Understand this. While I don't think that this is the right fight for Ryan Garcia to make at all, and I've heard said my pick, said that Ryan Garcia is going to lose, either on points or knocked out outright, stopped by the referee, excuse me. That doesn't mean that this isn't a great fight, nor does it mean, or nor does it not mean, that we don't give big ups to Ryan Garcia. Because this is what boxing is about. We have been wanting, clamoring, for major fights to be made and major people to get in the ring on a consistent basis. Call them out, be about it, stay and fight. Make it happen. And regardless of what you want to say about Ryan Garcia, he's doing it. He is doing it. Went over in the UK, fought Campbell, fought the adversity one, then has gone, fought Tank, called him out, talked smack, lost, but he fought him. Now he's fighting Devin Haney, talking smack, literally pushing and shoving, and, and being about the business of living, or rather living up to what he's been saying, of we need to make these fights happen. We need to make great fights be great fights. Doing legacy over the money. That's what he's been saying that he's about. Wanting to change the landscape of the boxing world and how fighters go about making the box, making fights happen. And he's sticking to it. And this is exactly what my problem has been with Tank. Tank has been continuously prioritizing the money over the legacy. But if you are successful, the legacy and the money will simultaneously happen with each other. You win against the best of the best, you get more money. You galvanize your negotiating power. You get more cachet you become even more respected. Hence, you have more power at the table. Then you take on another big name, beat him, or just you got in the ring with him, still adds to your resume, whatever the, com whatever the outcome is. You getting into the ring doesn't hurt you, but helps you. And with Ryan Garcia, he is showing and that he is about this life of boxing. 
the best version of the sport when the best fighters, the hottest prospects, the biggest stars call out big names and they actually get in the ring with big names. They make the fights. They create the buzz by being in the ring with the best opposition possible. It's plain and simple. We, we have to give them props for that. This isn't me trying to give any favoritism. I'm saying that we have been on this show and in the boxing sphere continuously getting on fighters and fights for the past umpteen years, not getting the fights that we want, not making fights happen, lauding Turkish al-Ashik for, for essentially bullying, bullying promoters into making the fights we want to see happen. Let's give that same praise to the, to the fighters and athletes who are actively going out of the way and making that type of legacy by themselves. In a way, fighting the best of the best. Benavidez, fighting everybody. Canelo, fighting everybody. Ryan Garcia, fighting everybody. I, again, you just went, heard me in my breakdown talk about how Ryan Garcia is nowhere close to being ready for Devin Haney, but he's still getting in the ring with him. Even with him being so ill-prepared, in my estimation, he's still getting in the ring with him. Isn't afraid to lose. He just wants to be in the ring with the best opposition possible. You can't knock that. I don't care how you feel about it. You can't knock that. And unlike with Tank, what he's shown, he is not doing that. Yet he gets all this adoration. The talent deserves adoration, no problem. But when we talk about defending the legacy of a man who isn't creating a legacy, this is, that's where the problem lies. There's got to be some form of legitimate respect given to people that actually take the challenges, even if they lose. But they took them. With Tank fighting Ryan Garcia, he could have then went on and fought, again, Devin Haney, at 135, when they were both still there, before he moved up, for anything the worst version of Devin Haney because he was weight drain. Could have fought him then. Could have fought Lomachenko. Could have fought Shakur Stevenson. Could have done all of these significant fights, either in his weight class or moving up five pounds. This is why the whole tirade with him fighting Conor Ben at 147 is so apropos and so frustrating. Because you can't go out of your way and call yourself great. Say you're the face of boxing. And then you do moves like saying one a fight is two weight classes are for a reason. And you cannot or are not comfortable above your weight class. But then you go and fight somebody who, mind you, isn't on your level. Conor Ben's not on your level. But you'll fight him. But then somebody on your level that was in your weight class and now has moved only five pounds above your weight class when you have fought in the very weight class that he is fighting in right now and you don't want to fight him. That's where the hypocrisy lies, like I said in the video. This is Ryan Garcia is doing what boxing is all about. He is acting like the truest of warriors, getting in the ring with the best of the best, no matter how much better or worse they are than you. If they're a name, a legitimate name, and y'all are in the crosshairs of each other, you go and make the fight happen. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Give credit where credit is due. Don't be, don't hate the internet persona. All this, forget all that. Strictly in the ring. 
You cannot say that he is not giving us the fights that we want to see. He is not giving us fights. You can't say that he's not giving us fights that are anticipated, that are high profile, that are significant and mean something in the world of boxing. You can't say that. He is actively doing that. He's making this sport fun to watch by him consistently taking these challenges. No problem saying anything about how that is great. Similar to Sean Porter. He fought everybody in the division. Everybody. No if answer bust about it. Went through everybody. Spence, Crawford, Brooke, uh, I believe Danny Smith Garcia. He fought everybody. I think he fought Ugas as well. He fought everybody. This is somebody who is phenomenal. Fought Keith Thurman. He went through in terms of Sean Porter. Fought everybody in the division. If you were a name, he got to you. Win, lose, or draw, he got to you. And with Tank, Ryan, and these other stars, we want to see that on a consistent basis. We want to see that always happen. If Ryan Garcia is delivering, we have to say that. Ryan Garcia is delivering on that notion that purest boxing fans really want. Give us the best of the best against each other. Call them out. Keep that same energy and be about that life of challenging yourself. That's what Ryan Garcia is doing. Don't hate on him for that. You can talk about his skills. You can talk about his lack of development. You can do it. Technically, you can talk about whatever you want. But you can't talk about his heart. You can't talk about his willingness to attempt to be great. To attempt to try something bigger than he's ever done. To overcome obstacles that seem too much for him. You can't say that he's not doing it. As other boxers who are also doing that same thing. Again, in a way. And mind you, in a way says said now, he'll most likely fight at featherweight but no higher and won't be most likely won't have that tank fight that dream fight that everybody wants him to happen happen because like you said weight classes happen for a reason see th- there's no problem with that statement versus the same statement happening with Javante Tank Davis because with, in a way he said I can't fight at my best above this weight so most likely that fight won't happen but guess what? Every other weight class that he's been in cleared them out. Cleaned out entire divisions. Cleaned out two divisions. Undisputed two times in a year. He went through the ringer where he was. Hence, if he wants to stay there, that's no problem. If he's got a cap and a limit, he's got a cap and a limit because weight classes do mean something. But Within the weight classes that he's going to operate in, he cleaned out. He he ran rough shot. Fought every legitimate and significant name, champion, talent, known or unknown, and gave him work. He went and tried everybody. Even if he had lost, still, he went and tried it against everybody. So him saying there's a cap, there's no problem there. There's no hypocrisy. But with Tank, blatant hypocrisy. 
There's a difference. Major difference. Major difference. Hence why I got a problem with Tank. Though he's great. Problem. Because I know what he can achieve. He can do the same thing that we see Ryan Garcia do. He can do the same thing that we see Noe Inouye do. He can do the same thing that we see Terrence Crawford do. He can do the same thing that Usyk is doing. Because I'm moving up in weight. Challenging everybody. All those fighters. Canelo. You can go down the list. Benavidez. Go down the list. Bebo. Archie Benavidez. All the greats that we got right now. He can do all that. But he's choosing not to. But slandering others. For claiming a spot that he says that he's earned. When while his talent may be world class. Never diminish his talent. Because his talent is pound for pound. He himself greatness wise. Doesn't belong in a pound for pound. Because he hasn't put in the work. Ryan Garcia has been putting in the work. Anyway has been putting in the work. Canelo has been putting in the work. Every other name. Has been putting in more work than him. And it's frustrating. Teofimo Lopez has been putting in more work than him. Everybody's been putting in more work than Tank. Everybody's putting in more work than Tank. And Tank, while you are great from a talent perspective, you are not great because of what you have actually done of recent, again, since Santa Cruz has not been from a talent perspective, from a challenging perspective, up to par. Because if we're still holding Isaac Cruz and Ryan Garcia and Leo Santa Cruz as your best wins, your three best wins in your career, that's not good. I don't think people understand it. That's not good to have that to hang your hat on. It's not. It isn't. It isn't a good barometer. If that's what you're hanging your hat on. Oh, he fought this, this, and this. Well, those three guys. One, I believe Santa Cruz, older. If not, I can't remember if he's retired or if he's, again, just older and hasn't fought in a while. Isaac Cruz, with respect to what he did in that fight, you also were only had one hand in the fight. He did. And while his talent is respectable, Nobody's saying that Isaac Cruz is A-class. We're saying that he's Roller Romero level, which he's fighting for Roller Romero's WBA title. And we know if you're on Roller Romero's level, you are not elite. That's just a fact of life. If you are on his level, you are not elite. And he's on Roller Romero's level. Nowhere close to being an elite fighter, in my estimation. But, those are the names that you hang your hat on. Ryan Garcia, big name, talent level, it was nowhere close to where you were. These, we're looking for quality in tank. Ryan Garcia is fighting quality opponents of recent. Again, this is what of what have you done for me lately? And of recent, he's challenged himself in two of his last three fights. Devin Haney now, Oscar Duarte, Tank Davis. Two of the three have been fighting to be on the pound for pound. One of the three from a talent perspective is on the pound for pound. One of the three from an accolade perspective has an argument to be on the, or if not, is outright on the pound for pound. So, so hey, that speaks for itself. 
That's the problem that we have with Tank. And while Ryan right now is proving more about him as a fighter than Tank is sitting down or fighting Conor Ben, if that fight does go through at 147, when he could fight at 140 against the best of the best or 135 against the best of the best. But we'll talk about that another time. With that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report with me, Jean-Luc Welch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please leave a like on the video. Comment your thoughts and opinions on everything that we talked about today, from the NBA to boxing to the NFL and the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs. All that and more we got to discuss on this episode, and we got much more to cover as the weeks and year and months of sports roll on. Come here for all of your viewing uh, the viewing and listening pleasure and for all the best takes and opinions and just outright conversation in the world of sports you know where to come right here on the world report the greatest empire in all of podcasting world and on youtube as a whole so again thank you for tuning in thank you for listening and we will see you all next time peace and love we are out of here